Jeff, I am in a hotel room. I don't have a headset, so I apologize for having to just use the microphone on my computer. But it is Thursday night. It is late on Thursday. We apologize for the delay. Uh, I believe two weeks ago in our USC post USC postgame show, we said it was officially we record when we damn well please season. So we warned you all, but we are here. We're getting it out late tonight. It'll be out before the last game of the year against the UAV Blazers. How's your week been? Um, I mean, it's been signing day week, so I'm just kind of worn out. I don't think people realize how much of a grind it is on signing day for me. Like the articles are, are it's a lot of work, but it's fine. But it's like updating the stupid databases and doing the uh, radio stuff. And it's just kind of a grind. Like you signing day days... off of work from your actual job for it. Yeah. And I do that every year because it's pretty brutal. So it's been a busy week. I'm just kind of tired. The... It's been good. And apparently my week, though, has been better than Chrissy Teigen's week has been. And why is that? Chrissy Teigen, for those of you who don't know, uh, the wife of BYU TV legend, John Legend. It, Chrissy Teigen was born in Delta. Did you know that? I did know that. I knew that because of some weird off-the-wall yeah, trivia. Also, uh, my, one of my wife's best friends from high school is her personal designer and travels every – she, like, she babysits their kid, and uh, she travels everywhere with them and, like, is the fashion person who puts together all of Chrissy Teigen's outfits. I think Chrissy Teigen is kind of a nightmare. Like she, and I don't really love John Legend either. And maybe it's because they're just so over the top woke that it bothers me. And maybe that's why, because I do think Chrissy Teigen's authentic, but I also think she's two-faced. Like she has done some damage to people on the internet, but then she goes around and like wants everybody to be kind. So I think she's just kind of a hypocrite. I think she's what's wrong with America. We don't really know what she has done other than be married to John Legend that has led her to be like this social media giant. But I digress. Chrissy Teigen had a pretty, pretty rough week. And I feel like you just glossed over BYU TV legend, John Legend. It's true. How did BYU get John Legend? And furthermore, how did a woke guy like John Legend agree to go on BYU TV? I mean... Money talks. Yeah, I mean, BYU must have shelled out a pretty penny to get John Legend. Chrissy Teigen, they have their daughter. You just mentioned her, travels travels around with your wife's whoever friend. Luna is her name. Luna, like many young toddlers do, lost her first tooth this week. Happy for Luna. But Luna lost that tooth down the drain. Now, you have two children. Do you have three children now? Just two. Just two. Well, three, including myself. Uh, Fair. I have two. My wife has three. Got it. What are you going to do if your oldest daughter loses her, I guess your only daughter, if she loses her tooth and it falls down the drain, what do you do? Um, I'd probably just go find a fake tooth. Yeah. I mean, you make some If it was her first tooth. I would commit to it and say that you have to put the tooth down the drain for the tooth fairy to come. There you go. You would find something. Would you call a plumber? No. No, of course not. Well, Chrissy Teigen called a plumber. And this is the quote from the article. Luckily, this fairy didn't have to fly too far before dropping the precious commodity. Oh shit, we found it on the camera, Chrissy exclaimed after a sewer inspection camera spotted and circled the found treasure. Praise Lord, I was so sad, said Tegan. And then they went and they found her tooth, disassembled the sink, and they found the tooth. Let me tell you what I did with my daughter's first tooth. I didn't want the tooth fairy to be a thing. I mean, it is a thing. I know it's magical for children and I'm not a heartless monster, but I didn't want it to be the the thing that it really was, right? Like of like, oh, the tooth fairy gives you a quarter or a dollar or whatever. So I taught my daughter a lesson capitalism that day. And I said, look, Malin, the the tooth fairy is probably going to bring you a quarter. 
If you're lucky because it's your first one, she's going to bring you a dollar. I will give you, I think I said $5, maybe $3. I will give you $5 right now to give me your tooth so that I can throw it away and we can just keep the, the tooth fairy out of our house. And my daughter, it took her a minute, but she's read enough Tuttle Twins books that she got it and said, that's a good deal, dad. Give me five bucks. So she sold me her tooth. I threw it in the trash and we didn't have to worry about the tooth fairy. That is genius. I similarly had to preemptively cut something off and now the idea of throwing it down. So I don't know when you remember when your kids were, you know, in the two to three range where it was like everything had to be perfect. Like they're eating a banana and it breaks or granola bar and it breaks in half and it's the end of the world. Oh yeah. So we were at a Christmas parade watching, uh, you know, car decorated cars and lights, whatever last weekend. And somebody gives my daughter a candy cane said candy cane was broken. Mm. So if anybody, you can tell my daughter that Santa Claus is not real, but you are not allowed to tell her that candy canes come in one piece because <laughs> we preemptively said all candy canes come in two pieces. And if, it, and if it's not in two pieces, you're supposed to break it in half first and open it from the middle. So that way we never have to worry about complaining about a broken candy cane. Got to play I, the long I, game here. And what you, you did with the tooth fairy is an investment because now you will never, ever forget. It would just yeah. be when your kid comes to sell you your tooth, you're ready to go. Well, and it kind of sets up a really good economic lesson. Because I can tell her, hey, the first tooth was worth $5 because that was your first one. But subsequent teeth, now that you're increasing supply of dead teeth, they're not as valuable to me as they once were. Mm. So her teeth since the first. We're learning uh, some real economic lessons here at the Hanson House. That's good. That's the important things. And let's. As we talk about economics, we can also shift to the from the tooth capital to the human capital of signing day. And I do, if you missed our newsletter that went out late last night, I just want to point out something because I've noticed this a lot when people say, and you are my witness that I, on our Discord, I said, hey, give me three random stats. Did I not do that? Uh, you did. Yes. And so I did not go through and cherry pick these to illustrate my point. I get three random stats. I did what I said. The When people say like, oh, they're number 40 in this, but number 70 in this, pretty much every single stat, the difference between one and 25 is the same as 25 and 100. Everything is clumped together. And as long as you're in that like 25 to 75 range on most things, you have a punching chance at things breaking your way. And if you're in like the top 10 on most things, then you're probably in the playoffs because you're Georgia, right? And, or Alabama or whoever else. So recruiting is the same thing. We talked about this last year when we, you know, this year's class, the 2021 class was like number 71, I think. Mm-hmm. And right now we're sitting at like 45 when you include the transfers of, you know, Kingsley, Sue, Mattia. Um, The difference last year between number one, Alabama, and number 25, West Virginia, was the same difference as number 25, West Virginia, and number 125, Middle Tennessee State. Yeah. So when you say, like, you know, 35 is not twice as good as 70. When it comes to rankings and these nominal things, there's very much a normal distribution of there's everybody's pretty much in the middle. And when it comes to recruiting, like, it's you got to, if you hover around the 50 mark or higher and you have, you know, Injuries probably play a bit. If you're in that ballpark, injuries, career-ending injuries, guys just flaming out, not putting in the effort, you know, academic casualties, those are all going to be bigger impacts on you. And you just got to have, you know, that fighting chance of where you are in the ballpark and talent. Because one player, like even when I looked last year, had Kingsley signed last year instead of transferring, it would have pushed us that one single offensive lineman from 71 to 54. So that said, who is your favorite signee of this class? Yeah, I want to, let's go through this. Let's ask some signing day superlatives to each other. My favorite signee. Now, when I think of my favorite signee, I I kind of, I think I am a little bit of a weirdo when it comes to this because 
I talk to a lot of these players. I talk to all the signees. I think I've talked to every single one of them at least once. Now there are some that I only talk to the once or twice. And then I, I just, for whatever reason, I don't follow up. We don't have like ongoing discussions. Typically it's the kids that like they get an offer, they commit on the spot. Like there's just not much to talk about and get updates from, but some of them, I, I am talking to them routinely for the better part of two years. Right. And I get to know their parents. I get to know their coaches. I get to know in some cases, their friends, like it's, it's kind of a, a, a like an immersive experience. So my favorite usually doesn't have anything to do with football. It has everything to do with just who I have enjoyed covering the most. And for me this year, I'm not sure it's close. Cannon DeVries is my favorite guy. You, I have felt this as you've talked about him yeah. throughout this off season leading yep. to signing day. Uh, I think I felt that. And I, I mean, I, I like him a lot. He is, did he get other offers from, uh, did he have a Utah State offer? He had a, I think, I don't know if Utah State ended up doing it or not, because he kind of, once BYU came, it was pretty clear where he was going to go. Uh, Colorado offered him before BYU did. And that set off like this crazy chain reaction of like, Garrett or Canada Vries had this fan club. And I, I, I'm serious, like more than any recruit that I can remember in recent history, after he got his first offer, it was a dozen, maybe two dozen people that I don't know who they are started sending me like DMS on Twitter and being like, Hey, where's Canada DeVries's offer. Why have we not offered Canada DeVries? Very strange. Like that happens with what, you know, if BYU gets beat to the punch, like that happens with just about every kid, but I had never seen it like this, like Canada DeVries had this fan club after him. Um, I think that Cannon, he reminds me as a player so much of Austin Lee and I loved Austin Lee. And I think Cannon could do a lot of the same things. But as a, as a leader, this isn't to say that Austin wasn't a good leader, but he reminds me of Andrew Rich. Like he's just a guy who's going to show up, or Danny Sorensen, right? Just a guy who's going to show up, do his job, and he is that like epitome of lead by example. And that sounds corny, but there are some guys that they're so good on the field and they are just – they work so hard and they go about it without complaining, without needing raw, raw stuff from anybody else that it's just infectious. And you can like make an argument that Danny Sorensen, that 2012 defense, like it had KVN, it had all kinds of guys, Danny Sorensen, you can make an argument. He was the most important one. Like he, everything kind of revolved around his leadership. And now he wasn't the biggest star on the field necessarily, but he was, I think the unquestioned leader in that locker room. That's what I see from Cannon. And I'm just, he is my favorite signee. I, I, I am expecting very, very big things for him in his future. Who is your favorite class of 2022 signee? Um, I think most people's is probably going to be either Cody Hagan or Ice Moa. And those are great. My personal favorite, similar to you, if beyond what they do on the field, uh, is Vai Soifua. Um, and I have been in love with him since that video when he went, so he went down and camped in Oxford at Ole Miss. And I remember this, he was, I mean, he, he wasn't, you know, there's a difference between like running your mouth, just yapping versus like when someone says something to you, you're going to say it back and you yeah. like the confidence, right? Like it is, he just has the attitude that you can tell he has the attitude that makes a great offensive lineman and yeah. more so than any other position where offensive lineman's like, you got to be strong. You got to have a decent first step, but you just have to be strong and mean. Yeah. Right. And, it, and even if you look at, you know, Utah state's had a good offensive line for the last while, same on defensive line, you look Utah, their bread and butter, right. Is being good in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Most of the guys they get, on the offensive and defensive line are not super highly recruited. They're not super highly rated. It, as you know, you look at it in most of their defensive line, all their players, it's a bunch of LDS. Most of them are RMs, 
Polynesian kids that they have got in the weight room. And it's just like, you're going to be strong and mean, and you're going to push people back, right? Like that it's, it's not a complicated position and vice Toifu really fits that mold. And he's going to, he's going to bring an attitude with him on the field. And so I, in addition to the fact that he is just, he's got a very good frame. He's built like a good, he's a, he's a very, very good interior offensive lineman just in his build, but mostly his attitude is why he's my favorite. I am going to tell you something that if you didn't already know, it's going to make you like Vi even more. I think this is his second year playing offensive line. Up That's until, good. yeah, he'd, he'd played defensive line pretty well his entire life. Even better. So he's just scratching the surface of what he can become. Down uh, players at, uh, here at Gavin Hellbrick, I'm like, the worst player that has ever played at BYU is infinitely better than either one of us ever have been at football. And I can say that with confidence. So we don't like to shit on players and they're, they're, they're college kids. And at this point in their careers, they're high school kids, but we can question players. We can question their futures, question the evaluation of the coaches. And really, it's probably more of an indictment on the coaching staff than it is on any individual player. If we feel like a player. Yeah, I'm not going to blame a kid for saying yes to an offer. Right. right? If, like, if, <laughs> if we feel like player A maybe doesn't fit at BYU, it's not that kid's fault that he's at BYU. That's the coach's fault. Right. So my next question, our next superlative, and I think I know your answer, and I think it's probably going to be my answer. The most questionable signee uh, that signed yesterday. Who is it? The most questionable. Much love to Max Hall, Ty Detmer, and Dennis Pitta is Brooks Jones. Yeah. From ALA Queen Creek. Yeah. Who it, this is something that going forward, right? And we talked about this in the Virginia Post game show of you know, dealing with projects and what you can do and what you shouldn't do and how we need to not just go for measurables, but also go for measurables and people that are put together. Brooks Jones was playing basketball and didn't even play football. He didn't start playing football until after he'd already committed. Yeah. Right. And it's, I don't blame him for saying yes to the scholarship. I would definitely would. His older brother, Dean Jones is on the team. So that was partially why they saw Dean and saw him and like, Hey, like, you know, we think, we can have this crystal ball into what he's going to be. And yet maybe he may prove us all wrong. And I hope he does, but the odds are against that happening. And we should never, especially going into the big 12, we should never be somebody's only offer. I'll say maybe one, you get two a year, right? Where it's, we believe in this kid, like they're whatever, we trust our valuation, but at some point, right? Like if our fringe offers, instead of being only guys that BYU's offered, like go make the fringe guy be someone who's got offers from UTEP, New Mexico, and UNLV, right? Then at least multiple other FBS schools have said, Hey, we think you can hang. But when we're offering someone who's never played football before, it's, I get that he's six, six, right? I get that. You've seen his brother bring him in as a PWO and let him put on some weight and see what happens before you commit the next four years to him. Because I don't think people realize, or maybe people don't remember that the P five also known in the official NCAA bylaws as the autonomous five conferences collectively voted in 2015, that all scholarships need to be guaranteed for four years. So with, if Brooks Jones goes on a mission and comes back, you're stuck for four years unless they decide to transfer. You can't cut a kid. When we are in the Big 12, we will not be able to cut players that are not performing. We have to. We can tell them, you're never going to play. We suggest you hit the portal. You're going to be buried on the depth chart. We're just going to make you run laps of practice and make your life hell the whole time to try to push you out. But you cannot cut a kid once they sign that line if you are a member of the Big 12. And so that really limits the number of projects that you can take and say, well, we'll just, we can't, we'll bring them in for two years and then we'll just cut them and pull their scholarship. If it's not working out, that's not an option anymore. Uh, yeah. I mean that for, for me, it's the same. It, it's Brooks Jones. And it, it, like I say, it's not anything, it's not Brooks's fault. Like, and he's an exceptional athlete. He's just so raw to football. And I will take your 
your your one one or two players per class. I'll, I'll take that rule and I'll, I'll add some color to it. I think not that I don't really care how many of them there I, are. Jeff, a player's ethnicity has nothing to do, <laughs> but like Michael Wilson, Micah Kafusi, Jaron Kalama, they only had one offer. I'd take them any class. Like those, those three are studs. So I'll add a little bit of detail and I will say you cannot take a player you cannot take multiple players at the same position who only have one offer. Okay. And, and it is hard because there are people that, you know, that it's like they commit early and just shut it down and stop talking to anybody else. Right. They would have other offers. Yep. And, and right. that's, that's the case with a lot of guys. Um, and maybe even, maybe even per position coach that each position coach and I, I wish Kalani would, he certainly can. I wish he would institute something like this of just like, Hey, if you have uh, like, you're going to get your, your, your allotment of how many scholarships you have to bring in for your position group each year, you have to meet some criteria that meets competing offer standards. If you're only given one scholarship, you got to go find a guy that has multiple offers and go fight for him and win. If you're given two, you can bring one guy in who you think is a project. You can bring in a Brooks Jones, but the other one you bring in better be somebody who was heavily sought after. Right. I, I, I wish he would do something like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, low ranked recruiting classes and projects have got BYU to where they are today. I just fear for the future. I really do. I fear. I know that this, this year's schedule had seven P five games. It was not a P five schedule. Like there's a difference. There is a difference. And this was not a P five schedule. Imagine like 10 P five games replace USF and Utah state and Georgia Southern with even three crappy P five schools, replace them with Cal and with Stanford this year and Oregon state. Like suddenly, like those are three games that, that we're all happy to win, right? Like those are three games where you're playing athletes that they're going to, they're going to punish players. They're going to hit a little bit harder than, you know, guys at Idaho state did. And, and so I'm, I'm nervous for the future given how many projects there were in this class. So for me, Brooks Jones, most questionable signee, if he's like, that's not to say it's bad, I guess. That's not to say he's a failure today. Like Ziggy Ansaw would have been a questionable signee. He and he started as a, a walk-on. He and came in as cut. a walk-on and then got great. Right. But if they would have given like Mo Longi, right? Mo Longi was a questionable signee. Didn't work out. Mo Longi's a great guy. Great guy. Great kid. Great whatever. But didn't work out. Turned out to be a waste of a scholarship. And that's the problem with projects. Okay, next one. Superlative. We'll, we'll, we'll clip through these, I think, a little bit faster. The signee who overperforms according to their rating, who performs um, the most? DeVries, obviously, I think Parker Kingston is probably the most slept on. Yeah. Which, even after we both said Brooke Jones, right? Parker Kingston is rated lower, which is amazing to me. But he's a kid that, you know, he replaced Jackson Dart. Um, he replaced Jackson Dart at quarterback after Jackson Dart transferred from Roy to Corner Canyon. And he, so he was playing out of position, but because he's, you know, could play safety, could play wide receiver. He's not going to be a quarterback and Provo recruited him as an athlete, but the dude can fly, right? Yeah, he's he's, he's maybe a half a step slower than Cody Hagan, the Kingston Hagan and the McKenzie twins is probably the fastest group of four signees that BYU has ever co had collectively. And I think just his raw speed and athleticism, he can make plays. I'm, I just do not understand how he was not more heavily recruited. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to rankings and you mentioned it, uh, that he was ranked lower than some of these other guys, rankings are based off of NFL potential. And at the end of the day, like Parker Kingston, because of his size, is going to have to do a whole hell of a lot in order to be an NFL guy. He, he's just not there, right? So his ranking is going to be low because of that. Now, that doesn't mean he can't be a great college player, but 
recruiting rankings are based off of NFL potential. And I think that explains why he's rated lower than some of these other guys. I love Parker. I think he's going to do some really, really good things. Uh, my, the guy who I think is going to overperform his recruiting ranking is Cooper Ross. And it's interesting comparing Cooper to Brooks Jones. Cooper played eight man football, kind of a funny story, kind of a funny recruiting path as well. And, and by all measures, he would be considered a project, but he also had a, a bunch of FCS attention. I think he had offers from schools like NAU. I mean, these aren't like big 12 schools, right? Like these aren't schools that comes with playing eight man football. Yeah. But he had other college attention and he's also a guy that, if he wasn't playing eight-man football, and at least he's playing eight-man football, it's still football, just a little bit less physical. Uh, if he was playing at Basha High School, uh, he, he would have had at least a G5 level attention. He looks like a, an NFL player already, and that's the difference, right? Like Brooks Jones has one measurable that looks D1, and that's his height and his, I guess his length. But Cooper Ross, like he's 6'5", he's already a big dude, but he's also 250 pounds and he can run pretty well at 6'5", 250. And so you put all of like all the measurables together and he's got three or four things that look like a college player. That's a project that makes a lot of sense. And and so to me, Cooper Ross overperforms. I'll go ahead and take the first crack at the next one. The football commit who underperforms relative to their recruiting ranking I am going to go ahead and say, I'm going to say I say Moa because he's, he's got the biggest shoes to, to fill, right? Like he and Cody Hagan are the most highly, like highly rated guys. So they have to do the most. And not that I don't think I say Moa is going to be a very good player. I think he's going to be a very, very good player. One of BYU's best players, in fact, but at a four star, like, and a four star with the story that he had of flipping from Utah. I'm afraid that he is going to be like, there's going to be some unreal expectations placed upon him by BYU fans. If he doesn't come in and start playing right away, I'm afraid that they're going to start questioning. Is this kid a bust kind of how people did with Gunnar Romney, that Gunnar Romney was hurt. Didn't make a huge impact as a true freshman. And it was like, wow, is he already a bust? Was he not as good as he was rated? I, I can see some of that playing out with Isaiah Moa. And so because of that, I think he probably underperforms relative to his recruiting ranking because I think people are, are expecting the world. And I don't know that he's going to deliver the world. I do think he's going to be one of the most productive players in this class. However. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And I think your comparison to Gunnar Romney's uh, expectations when he came in, right? Because Gunnar Romney came in, he was a four-star receiver, had offers from most of the Pac-12 as we beat out Utah and ASU for him, whatever it was, he was going to come in and he's going to be instantly the best receiver in the room. We're basically looking at the reincarnation of Austin Colley, who's going to come in and put up a thousand yards as a freshman, right? Like that was, that was kind of the hype going into it. In a lot of ways, even too similar to the hype and major disappointment by fans that has been subsided because of Puka Nakua and other the just the wide receivers are good. What we saw with Cody Epps last year was like, oh my gosh, we got a kid from modern day, right? Yeah, like he's yeah. going to come in, he's going to be amazing, and he needs time, he needs to develop. It didn't, whatever. But I mean, I've seen there's a lot of people already saying, oh, Ice is going to come in, and he's going to be a starter day one next year. Maybe he, he might. He didn't. He very well might be, but that's a lot of pressure to put on an 18 year old kid. And maybe sometimes that happens, right? Like there's plenty of freshmen who come in are great and you're blown away by how good they are their freshman season. Other guys need a year or two, no matter if, even if they're highly rated. So I think I agree with you on that one, that the, he will, he is most likely going to fall short of the expectations because those expectations are not calibrated properly. And to me, that says BYU needs to get more four-star athletes so that uh, we as fans are used to what a four-star athlete is, right? Like a four-star athlete is a very good player, but they're not a five-star athlete. There's a difference between a four-star and a five-star. Now there's high four-star guys that you expect to contribute right away. Kingsley is one of those. But like Cormani McLean is a five-star dude. Like he could pick his school, any school, 
pick a school and, and, and they will take Cormani McLean. Pick a system. Cormani McLean will fit that system. Any coordinator, all of them want Cormani McLean. But a guy like Isaiah Moa, uh, scheme matters a little bit more. Coaches matter a little bit more. Fit matters a little bit more. Uh, it's different, right? It just is different. Like there is a gap between a low four-star and a five-star guy. Like people think it's really small, but it's not. There is a gap there. And so, yeah, I, I think that's what it is. I think people are going to have unreal expectations. Maybe he lives up to him. I hope he does. I think he's going to be a damn good player. I just don't know that he's going to be, um, you know, an all-time great. And I think that's what people are already expecting. Uh, the signee that fans are going to like the most. Now, that can be as a player. That can be as a person. Who do you think the signee that player or that fans will like the most is? Uh, it's going to be Cody Hagan. Like when we're talking about who can show up day one, I think just because strength is an issue, right? For most kids coming into college program, it's a, it's going to be a lot easier if he ends up saying, which it sounds like he is not sure if he's going to go on a mission right away or if he's going to play a year first. Um, I think Cody Hagan is more likely to make an impact next year right away than Isamoa is because it's easier to have your speed tapped out and just be super fast and run away from people when you're 18 mm -hmm. than it is to need to be, especially if Moa, you know, is like, let's put on weight and move you inside. And he's got to pack on weight and deal with a bigger body and needs to get stronger. Right. There's, I think that Cody Hagen is going to be a fan favorite because he, he is a better receiver prospect than Gunnar Romney ever was. Okay. I, I think I can get on board with that. I'm going to go with Peter Falonico because I think he's fun as hell. He's freaky. He is super athletic, super strong. He's going to maul some dudes, but also when he gets in front of a camera, when you talk to him, he's a pretty fun kid. I think the fans are going to really like Peter as his career goes on. For my last superlative that I have here, let's steal a baseball term and let's talk wins above replacement. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's the advanced metric that baseball uses really to just kind of quantify how good a player is. Uh, there's all the stats that are going to like blow up the box score, but then there are some players who just chip away. They're good, maybe not great at anything, but they're good at a lot of things. And at the end of the year, they have helped a team win five or six games by themselves by doing all of these weird little things. It's called war. So who is the signee that will end their careers with the highest war. Now, it's obviously not apples to apples, and war is kind of a weird thing anyways. But what do you think, Garrett? Gosh. This is I'll answer. I'll give you some time. Uh, for me, it's canon again. I think he just does so many little things so well that uh, at the end of the day, he is going to be an incredibly valuable asset for BYU's defense. I will give a very close second to Micah Kafusi because I think Micah Kafusi is better than Isaiah. And Isaiah ended up on the Colts. If Micah can stay healthy, I think he has a better career than Isaiah. And imagine those defenses without Isaiah Kafusi on them a couple of years ago. All right. Um, I was going to say I settled on in both very similar body types, depending on how much they grow and how much weight they put on um, either Jaron Kalama or Micah Kafusi. They're both six, three, both of them could play either linebacker or safety, depending on just what their body does and how they grow into it. Um, but both of them are just, will play at positions where you can just cover so much ground. You have the ability to impact the game in a ton of, ton of, ton of different ways. And so yeah, I'd either say Kafusi or Jaron Kalama. Yeah. I can get on board with that. I thought it was interesting. Speaking of Jaron Kalama, the plan has been, I was under the impression the plan was going to be defense for him all along. I knew that the offensive coaches would like, like them a lot. In fact, I was told way back this spring when he got a scholarship offer that the offensive coaching staff actually had planned on meeting with him the day after the defensive coaching staff did to extend him an offer. And he would have been an offensive recruit had the defense not kind of beat them to the punch by a day 
So that was a little bit surprising to me, but he was announced as a wide receiver. So thought that was interesting. Uh, moving on, there is an actual football game this week. Kind of weird, but there is a football game against uh, Conference USA. Do we get to call them a powerhouse? Like they're not UTSA this year. They're not winning CUSA every single year. But you you follow that level of football a little bit closer than I do. Correct me if I'm wrong, but UAB is consistently a top three, maybe four team in Conference USA every year. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, they've won two com- out of the last four Conference USA titles. So yeah. they they lost to UA uh, to UTSA, and had they not lost to uh, to them, then they would have played in the conference championship again this year or Western Kentucky. They, they lost a tie break. It was Western Kentucky. They lost to Western Kentucky. And so that was, you know, that put them one game out. They would have had the tiebreaker otherwise to play UT, to, yeah, to play UT San Antonio in the CUSA championship. They're going to be hyped. Okay. It's the, this is very much a, if all the players bitch and moan the way fans did about going to Shreveport, then we're going to get rocked because UAB is going to come in like it's any other game that they're excited to play. And if we go in with our head down and all pouty that we didn't end up in a different game or whatever, then we're going to get slapped around as we should. Because if you overlook someone or you don't appreciate the opportunity to play, then you deserve to get beat. So, well, let me tell you one thing. I am still pretty pouty, and I don't appreciate Shreveport. I just don't. I saw, did you see the picture that Criddle tweeted out today? Uh, no. He tweeted out a picture of what over, like I, I assume was him at his hotel room. And it said, Shreveport, Louisiana, who decided to go or blah, 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 blah. And Brandon Gurney, with the tweet of the year, said... I wasn't jealous until I saw this picture, Criddle. And this picture, it's like there's a smokestack. There's a bunch of rundown-looking buildings and houses. There's a sad river with a bunch of weeds for a beach. Kind of a rundown-looking bridge. Shreveport looks like it's as crappy as we all imagined it would be. It is. So Shreveport, If I mean, you've never driven through Shreveport or been there, I'm assuming. Right. No, no. And I, so, from what I understand is it's more Arkansas than Louisiana. Yeah. So it's close to the Texas border. It's up there kind of in the corner. It is like, um, it is in a lot of what there's like riverboat casinos in a lot of ways. It's like a dirty, trashy Southern Vegas with a, it's like, it's a nasty town with a lot of good food. If you're in a greasy Cajun food. So it's Ogden. Does Ogden Ogden have a lot of greasy Cajun food, not Cajun food, but Ogden has a lot of good food that you wouldn't really know about unless you were from Ogden. And like, you're not from up here, no. you know, people who aren't from Ogden assume that like everywhere you walk, like you're going like, you know, to like watch your head and keep like duck below the windows. Cause you might get shot. But if you also take your eyes off the ground, you got to watch, like, you, you you might step on a syringe or catch some meth or heroin or something in between your toes because you're not paying attention. Yeah, Shreveport like, is Ogden. Yeah, so I think Shreveport and Ogden maybe have a lot of similarities. That If you're from there and you know how, like, the local scene works and where to go, maybe it's not so bad. But to visit there, like, nobody's coming to visit Ogden, Utah. Maybe that's it. I think that is a good – I think that's a good comparison. And – I am a little worried by the kickoff time. I know that because finals are over and it's a bowl game, they've, I think, what they left on Tuesday. So they've been there for, I mean, normally they travel on Friday. Like they traveled to Baylor on Friday. Here's so the, the, the body adjustment is not as much for a bowl game. Um, but it's, I think it's going to be a closer game than we would like. And a lot of that similar is just because of the expectations that people will have of it's a CUSA team. We should stomp them. But keep in mind that once upon a time, BYU was the good team from a not good conference. And we always felt disrespected and didn't like that. People didn't take us seriously because we knew we could hang. 
right? Yeah. And UAB is that kind of program. So just because they're from CUSA doesn't mean they are a terrible football team. Yeah. And so the don't let the name fool you that this is, you know, like playing SUU or Weber or Utah State or some other FCS team. Uh, yeah, I agree. This is a this is a good team. Uh, they have some question marks coming into this game. We don't know if Dwayne McBride is going to play. Dwayne McBride is a stud of a running back. Uh, he is their Tyler Algier. I mean, he ran for, I'm trying to think. I'm pulling it up right now. It was like 1,200 yards. I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think it was 1,200 yards. Um, 933 yards, 11 touchdowns. That wasn't this year, was it? That oh. was last year. No, that was this year. And then last year, he in six games last year, he had 47 carries for 439 yards. Averaged 9.3 yards per attempt last year. Uh, he's good. He's really good. He was hobbled in their last game. He ended the game in a boot. He's averaging a couple, seven yards a carry this year. Yeah. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, maybe he, no, I'm reading. Right, it is 1,200 yards. They didn't. Yeah. Their stats were not updated on their own damn website. Yeah. Okay. One seventy. They were missing a game. One hundred seventy-six yards or carries. One thousand one hundred eighty-eight yards. Look at that. I know more about UAB than UAB does. That's saying something. That is saying something. And I did that off the top of my head. Um, he can play, man. Like he's really good. And if he plays, it's a different. It's a different team. It's a different offense. Uh, the UAB defense is really, really good. I mean, but they're kind of like BYU good, right? Like statistically, they're good. They're not sexy. They're not like going to sit there and just get to the quarterback over and over and over again. Their leading sack guy is uh, Alex Wright, who has six sacks on the year. He's a freaky dude. He's like 6'8", 270. He's going to give BYU's offensive tackles some, some headaches. Um, but they're a defense stop the run team averaging just over 104, 105 yards allowed. All of these stats are coming off the top of my head. So if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but if I'm right, I think everybody should you go should to get a the, round of applause anyway. Well, everybody should go to my Venmo and tip me. Cause I learned that we can do that on Twitter. Now somebody took me a quarter. Oh, Appreciated nice. that. That was nice of them. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be an ugly game, I think. The spread right now, after opening up at, at BYU is an eight-point favorite. It's down to six-and-a-half. Game total has stayed steady the whole time at 54-and-a-half. I mean, so that puts you at about a 31-24 game, and that's kind of how I see it. I, I keep comparing this game to Georgia Southern. UAB is better than Georgia Southern. Much, much better. So in, the, in Massey Composite, UAB is sandwiched right between Virginia and UCF. Yeah. Yep. I mean, they're a, they're a solid football team and they could do some damage if BYU is not ready to play. And the, the one thing that I think not be that group of people. Uh, you, you cut out for a second. Do you, you, you said the one thing I think, and then you came back as that group of people. Well, let's not be the group of people that blames these players if they come out flat and is like, how could these guys not come ready to play? Are you excited to play UAB in Shreveport, regular BYU fan? No, you're not. And despite what the coaches are going to try and do to hype these guys up, and despite it being a bowl game, and despite it, all of the things, these guys are humans the same way we are. And if we're not excited about something, there's a pretty decent chance the team is also a little less than excited. So I don't want to hear any... If BYU does come out flat, this, oh, they didn't come ready to play. How disappointing. Look, unless you're absolutely jazzed about playing the University of Alabama, Birmingham, I don't want to hear you say anything about not being ready to play because I don't want to really, really fan. I'm still kind of pissed we're not in the New Year's Six. I mean, you could take Kenny Pickett or Kenneth Walker's spot. Ugh. And how – it pisses me off, man. People opting out of bowl games, the, the playoff has ruined college football more than more than anything else. The playoff has ruined college football. 
And if you're not going to expand the playoff to the point that a lot of teams can get in like March madness, it's going to continue to ruin college football. It really is true because every other bowl is just not meaningful now. Right. I mean, and they've always been exhibitions, but at this point it's like, everything is about getting into the playoff, everything for every team. And the reality is there are 12, maybe 15 teams every year that have actual chances at getting to the playoff. And the like bottom half of those 15 teams are like very slim outside chances. And so if everything is about the playoff, then, then we're playing an entire college football season with 133 division one teams so that seven different schools can compete for playoff spots. It can't all be about the playoff. It can't be. There's way too many teams to make everything about the playoff. And I blame the media, ourselves included, right? I blame ESPN. I blame fans who push so hard for a playoff and and conceded that four teams was okay. Like the four teams in the playoff might be the four best teams. That's fine. And maybe expanding it gives us some crappy football games. I get it. But there's a lot of really crappy one seed versus 16 seeds. And there's a lot of really crappy two seed versus 15 seed games. But every once in a while, those 15 seeds win, right? And once before that 16 seed has won. And by opening it up, it makes something magical. And at four teams, you, you don't get the magic. And every team is going, you know, like any NBA team would, right? Like you're going in and you're saying championship or bust, but there's only 15 teams who even have a chance and even teams within a power five conference. It's not just, well, if you're in the power five league and you win it, that isn't the case. Like that really isn't the case. Look at Baylor. Baylor had two losses, won their conference. They were never seriously in contention for a playoff spot ever. Not one time. It's not everybody. It is not equitable. There are seven teams with a realistic chance to get into the playoff in any given year. And occasionally you're going to see a team like, okay, Cincinnati this year, you're going to occasionally have a a special season for a team like LSU, but it should be telling that even a program like LSU had to have a generational once in a lifetime team to get into the playoff. Outside of the Joe Burrow year, they haven't been there. Right. And so this playoff or bust attitude has killed college football. And I'm just kind of bitter about it. That's true. And the key to success for BYU is just do what we do, right? We know we need to stop the run. We need to get Algier going. And because he is our bread and butter, um, we need to hope, you know, we need Jaron Hall be feeling good, get his arm going to make the plays that he needs to. And I think we're going to come out and I think it's going to be pretty chalky and just be like a, you know, we're going to win by somewhere between six and 10. It's going to be not that close. It's going to be closer on the scoreboard than it really was with how it played out. It's never going to be really in doubt, but you're going to be uncomfortable for pretty much the whole second half. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I think so. Your butthole will pucker more than it should. But at the end of the day, you won't have that bubble gut feeling. Yeah. You'll just have a puckered bowl. <laughs> oh, gosh. The, is this the puckered butthole bowl? Is that what you're calling this? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. And really comparing it to either a puckered butthole or a, a, a bubble guts, it really kind of depends on which crawfish, crawfish place you went to in Shreveport. That's true. Um, that the majority of that greasy Cajun food is probably going to do that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, You're either yep. going to have bubble guts or pucker butt. <laughs> is that that might be the title of this episode? And yeah. it, I, there'll be pro- very few people who make it to the end to understand why. But Jeff, <laughs> it is a, it is late. Uh, I got to run and <laughs> go pick up my wife. Yeah, you go get her. Need to uh, you need to go to bed. You've had a long day. You've had a long week. It's uh-huh. uh, and we will be things are going to be a little more irregular going forward right it's just we're into the off season we gotta maybe work around the basketball schedule a little bit like they'll still be be tuesday it might be thursday right you know it'll it'll still be weekly we have never missed a week 
we have not missed a week in almost two a year and a half now, yep. and we have not missed a week, and we're never going to miss a week. Mm-mm. It's just, you know, it may be short, it may be long, it may be funny, it may be sad. And there but might we, be episodes that we don't even talk about BYU because we kind of forgot to do it. We forgot to do it. And, you know, if you've already, if you're on Twitter and you've seen every news item there is, then you don't need us to rehash the same things. It's true. We're here to bring light, the the light of our humor mm-hmm. and our insight. And if rehashing things doesn't bring new insight. So we are here to learn about getting teeth out of the get we're the only i guarantee we're the only sports podcast in the entire world that has discussed the economics of the tooth fairy and getting hiring a plumber to get a tooth out of your drain and and that was just one of the things we could have talked about we could have talked about how kim jong-un has executed people for listening to k-pop music in north korea we almost had that on the agenda but this I show did, is a variety. We were show. worried that that was going to go into a foray about the history of the Soviet Union. That is specifically why we did not talk about that. <laughs> That's true. That's the real reason. Um, but Jeff, until next week, I guess we will have a post game fireside for the bowl game. Uh, maybe on Monday, maybe, maybe like a midday Monday. I don't know. Are you working next week? Are you taking the whole week off? No, bankers, we get to take every BS holiday off. But when the real ones come, we do still have to work. Well, that's lame. Yeah. But maybe you could take a break. And so maybe we'll do a midday Monday, like, I don't know, you know, Sunday, that's annoying, you know, whatever it's. So we may, we'll do a post-game show at some point for, for the bowl game, our last wrap-up fireside of the year. And until then, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell.